This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. Thanks to Rode Microphones and Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com, the home of the Portabooth Pro. This is the Pro Audio Suite podcast with Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post Chicago. Darren Robbo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging Sydney. From LA, George the Tech Whitam, the Tech to the VO Stars, and me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent and home studio guy. Following on from last week's show about the female voice, we sort of sidetracked, as we usually do, and um, went into a discussion about ratios of rooms, like as in your booth or studio, and we didn't really get to any conclusion, if there is a conclusion. So this week, we've actually grabbed ourselves a special guest who was the Director of Technology at the Osterio Radio Network in Australia, and uh, oversaw the building of the studios here, and also about 43 studios in Asia, from memory. Uh, Des DeKeen, how are you doing, Des? Hi, Andrew. Hi, guys. Very nice to be joining you. I'm, I'm going really well here in uh, sunny South Australia. And uh, yes, it wasn't. Uh, it was actually just 22 studios in, in Malaysia, Andrew. But wow. still, a lot of <laughs> studios and a lot of work to be. You've actually played with a few different ideas. In fact, we were talking about it just before we got on, and we're very we, we know these studios well. In fact, it's been a discussion point between mm. Robbo and I for a while. And that's the um, open concept of studios, bringing the studios into the uh, the wider community of the office, basically, mm. which involves a hell of a lot of glass. How the hell did you make that work? Mm. Well, with great difficulty, um, <laughs> as a caveat here uh, on my knowledge base, I should say that um, I used an acoustic consultant and, uh, and our architect, um, expressly for studio design because it wasn't a situation where we could just have a go and, and see if it worked or not. We had to get it right first time. So uh, I, uh, I did all the concept work and then I brought in the experts to to bring that to, uh, to reality. The concept that I was working on for uh, our rebuild of, uh, of our radio stations the rebuild occurred when we brought two networks together, the Triple M network and the Osterio network, and um, we had to accommodate two stations from from different buildings into one building. So it was an opportunity to uh, create a new environment. We were very keen to create a team feel. I, I, I didn't like the two worlds feel, as I described it, um, between the studios and the on-air staff where you'd go into a sound lock, the door would close, everyone would hush-hush and tiptoe around and this is the studios in here and out there, it's the office area, there's people out there, I don't know what they do, but they're out there doing something. I wanted to break those barriers down and, and have a situation where the guys in the studio could see all of the office people out there working and the office people could see the studio so that they feel part of the end product. It's like an open kitchen in a you know in a bar and grill. Yeah, see everything going on. Exactly. Yeah. So so that was that was the fundamental premise uh, to achieve that. Uh, Had had some tricks uh, involved. Um, The trickiest one and one that we couldn't pull off uh, was um, the studios in in Sydney for today and Triple M. 
if you can picture this for a moment, a large square area, very large, uh, and within that area, in two of the corners, uh, each, each of two corners had the on-air studio. In the middle, between those studios, and sitting right in the middle of, this, of the, the large area, was a long desk, which was the producer's desk, which would accommodate three to four people uh, at that desk. And in the corners just behind them, but the other two corners of this square that I'm describing, one, one corner had a news studio, and the other one had a production studio for producing production pieces for, say, The Breakfast Show, where you wanted to work very closely with a, with a production guy. Between, between those studios, it all opened out into the, into the office areas, so there was large sections of walls uh, of open areas that looked out into the office area. The front of the studios, I wanted to be all, all glass, the on-air studios, and we started out trying to do a big curved glass, just continuous curve. But uh, the acoustic consultant tore his hair out over that for, uh, for some weeks. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Convex or concave? Because if it's concave, yeah. that's really a problem. Well, it was concave, exactly. Concave to the inside, yeah. Um, and, of course, it... Uh, it posed too many, uh, too many situations uh, with reflections and nodes uh, and so on in the room, resonances. So uh, we compromised and, and did a series of large glass windows that we were able to angle the glass at various angles, some up and some, some down. So we broke up a lot of the reflective patterns that might have otherwise existed with uh, continuous glass. Wow. So we, 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 uh, we achieved the results that we wanted to in the end, um, and the room sounded, sounded good. They, uh, we worked to a reverb time of 200 milliseconds max uh, in the rooms, um, which allowed you to work on mic and sound on mic, but you could work off mic slightly if you wanted to create a, a dimension of being uh, away from the microphone but not having too much slap echo around you. So it just gave that nice pleasant off-mic sound, which, you yeah. know, for comedic work and so on, the guys would often want to work off-mic a little. If the listeners, okay, I mean me, wanted to see what this looked like, where could we go right now while we're listening and take a look at this thing? Uh, well, actually, uh, I can help out there. Des, I have some photos, which I will post in the show notes yeah. of this episode. How's that? Cool. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I have worked in said studios, and they sound amazing, can I just say. Well, it's an interesting one for you, George, as well, because um, Joe Cipriano's old studio that was uh, had two two walls of glass, basically, or certainly a corner right. of glass. Right. Uh, and how did you cope with that? Yeah, I, I and I, since then I did another one for another great uh, talent in the business, Howard Parker. That is like to me, kind of like a fish tank. Um, <laughs> like it has a it has two mitered corner glass. It's a glass box. So, like on one end anyway, not entirely, but it's got two mitered glass corners, right? So, um, yeah, it was one of those things where, and when I design booths, I realize a lot of the times when I'm doing these, it's building it to the client to make the client feel good first, and then wondering how to make it sound good second. So. And that's kind of like yeah. what you guys are talking about. We want convex yes. glass. We want this amazing looking space. And that's kind of what I ran into there. In the end, it actually worked out fine. Um, I essentially just, I treated every darn surface that I could to compensate for all that glass. 
And um, by some miracle, even though there was another glass door, a window on the other side of the room that's like seven feet away, it's a small room, a booth that was parallel to the other window and facing outside. Even with those two parallel windows, we had enough dead absorbing space on the wall closest to the microphone that it somehow compensated. Um, Now, if, if he was to really project and be more off mic, it might get a little hairy in there. But it's not the kind of stuff that he does, so it's okay. Mm, but yeah. somehow, we made it work. I just It was one of those things, I, yeah. What you guys, what you said, we cannot f- sort of, we can't afford to experiment. You guys had to get it right Yeah, exactly. for something that scale. But when I'm building like an individual person's studio in their home, there's a little room for experimentation. So it worked out. Exactly. It worked on the first try, but I didn't think that it would. <laughs> and and budgetary considerations are always an issue in a commercial Budget, time, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're a bigger issue, I guess, when you're doing a home studio because, you know, you're working on, uh, I would suggest, substantially smaller budgets than you'd work on, uh, uh, work within a commercial situation. Yeah, but you know what? What I like about the home studio, individual studio scenario, there's a precious little red tape <laughs> so yes. Yeah. You can yeah, get well. things approved on the spot, you know, <laughs> or even sometimes, rarely, but sometimes a blank check, and yep. um, yeah. and that's a different kind of world, which I feel privileged to get to do that. I haven't done much in the world of commercial design where there's a lot more uh, decision makers, so I can only imagine the challenge. The question is, yeah. and George, you, you, you could answer this one as well. Do do you have like a set sort of set of ratios that you work to, or not? Um, no. Um, and again, it kind of kind of goes back to I'm working in incredibly constrained dimensions of space. It's incredibly, it's very very rare that we get to start from scratch and say we're going to build a room to these dimensions or to fit within this ideal ratio. Um, so no, I, I, it's really, it almost never happens that I get to decide we're going to build a room this size. It's, this is the space I have and we have to make something work in this odd space. What can we do? That's usually what I'm up against. What about you, Des? Do do you have a, a set of ratios that you guys work to? Um, no, no, we don't. Uh, but there are some fundamental rules, I guess, and uh, that is that you, you don't you don't build a cube. Uh, a, a yes, dimensioned cube. I so still try to avoid cubes. Yeah, <laughs> whenever possible. <laughs> yeah, they're a headache for everyone. Um, but uh, invariably, uh, our, our shapes were a compromise between the the aesthetic and the acoustic. Um, and, uh, yeah, even though we were starting with a blank canvas, uh, we still had space restrictions on how much area was allocated for studios versus how much is allocated to administration and, and other things that had to share the floor in a, in a building sort of thing. Um, so the, the answer to, my, uh, to the question from my perspective is, no, we didn't work to ratios, but there are documented ratios, and I, I have... Some information on hand here, which I'm happy to share if you if you would like to uh, like me to talk about ratios for a moment. Sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. So the, uh, the the aim is to try and have different and non-related uh, dimensions uh, for length, width, and, and height of a of a room 
that's to uh, to avoid uh, resonances uh, and reflections, uh, often referred to as nodes, where some some frequencies will, will peak, and some some rooms can can have a big low frequency boost in the room uh, and a, a null in the high frequencies, or vice versa, depending on on the shapes. The um, so the, the, these are ratios, not actual dimensions, but uh, the a, a documented reference uh, for rooms is with a height of, of one, you have a width of 1.14, sorry, height of one, width of 1.14, and a length of 1.39. So... That, that's a, that's a sort of a ratio. There, there is there's two other versions of, of that, but they're all uh, multiples um, of of the dimensions, which make sure that there's there's no direct correlation between uh, any any length and any width and any height. So if you use those figures, sort of one one point one four and one point three nine for height, width, and length, that will give you a room which will have minimal um, nodes and and reflections in it. You can yeah, you can go to one one point two eight and one point five four, or one and one point six and two point three three. So they're, they're just multiples. Uh, um, I, I'm guessing it's a it's a geometric um, uh, relationship between the, the, the three dimensions there. Right. Are these sometimes so, called golden ratios, or is that an unrelated term? Um, I've I've not heard them called that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they're just referred to uh, in my documentation as ideal ratios. Mm. Yeah. Ideal ratios, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, I mean, there's a lot you can do these days to uh, to tune a room. Um, tuning being to to manage the reverberation uh, and reflections down to a point which is acceptable for the use of that particular room. And uh, so you, you can uh, you can do a lot. Uh, to compensate for a room that may not have perfect ratio, such as the ones I've just referred to. Can I ask about the achieving the the uh, two hundred millisecond decay? Would you guys also call it RT sixty over there? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. To line the room, let, let's not talk about the isolation because that's the other that's the a, other issue. The isolation. Yeah, that's another. That's another show that, almost. That's <laughs> a, it's another can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're we're assuming that the room is isolated from out from outside uh, influences and noise and so on. So then to, to tune the room, we use so we've got timber studs on the walls um, um, placed uh, about uh, six hundred mil in my language apart. Um, into those panels, in, into those studs, between them we would put uh, panels of uh, fibre wool. Um, there's a product, uh, I did a little bit of research, there's a product uh, which I think is available in the American market known as uh, 705FRK. Um, right. Yeah. We which call is it Owens the, Corning 705 or 703. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the Corning, uh, Owens Corning 705. You've got compressed, it. it's like a compressed bonded fiberglass. Exactly, with a uh, with a solid backing on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so the, the thing that we found was you don't make uh, – so you, we're going to put these, these panels of fibre wall into uh, the wall between the studs, floor to ceiling. What we don't want to do is do a wall of complete fibre wall or, or you can turn the panels around and have the reflective surface facing out. 
what, what we found worked best was a checkerboard. So you would alternate a, a fiberglass side out, back side out. So you start out with that, you alternate those on the four walls. That's given you a, it's given you a reference point. From there, you, uh, we, we had some audio test gear, so we would do some measurements in the room. In a simpler form, uh, you can do what I call a calibrated hand clap, where you clap in the room and listen to the reverb of the clap. Um, we'll give you an idea. You can stand closer to a wall, walk back to the centre of the room, do a clap again. And you might find that you're reversing some of these, some of these panels that we've put in place to have more, more of, these, of the silver side or the backing side exposed to the room or more of the, uh, the, the fibre wall. That, that gives you a lot of, a lot of ability to, to, tune, to tune the room. Are these um, about a half metre square, each of these? Yeah, yeah, they are. They're um, 24 inch by 48 inch by 2 oh. inches. Yeah, yeah. Standard American dimensions. Yeah, we yeah. Need the, we, that's yeah. the size of the panels that we make that, you know, kind of off the shelf, we say. Yeah, that we hang yeah, a lot exactly. on yeah, you buy a pack of five for one hundred and thirty-two dollars. <laughs> wow, what a weekend! <laughs> that's a, that's a great so deal. It's, yeah, it's one for the budget, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, Owen's Owen's calling seven hundred five FRK. Um, yeah, pack of five, hundred thirty-two dollar. Okay, you put that on the wall, but that's not the finished look that you want. So what we we did, we we put uh, Velcro fixed timber frames with a fabric stretch over the fabric. Which would go in front of these uh, these these uh, fiber wall panels to dress them. Now the other thing interesting here, um, and another trick I was taught by our acoustic consultant, you got to use a fabric which is not too dense because if it's too dense, it re will reduce the effectiveness of the material behind it. Right. So the the simple test is to get a piece of the fabric, sample of it, mm. hold it to your mouth, and breathe through it. If you can breathe without any effort at all through the cloth then it's transparent enough and it, and it will work just fine. <laughs> not good for COVID. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I was, I was going to say what we should do. Do not is make it, COVID right? masks out of uh, this material. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, good point. Um, yeah, so, uh, but, uh, so that, that's, that's a simple test to, to select the, uh, the, the, the finished fabric to go in front of the uh, acoustic, uh, acoustic panels. Yep. We, uh, Sometimes we call it speaker cloth. It's essentially yeah. the cloth that would be on a speaker grill. Um, exactly. You know, exactly. because it's tra acoustically transparent as possible. Right. Same, same. Yep. So, um, so there's that. We uh, carpeted the floors um, and put the fabric over, uh, over the front, about a metre off the floor, about not, uh, uh, yeah, 36 inches off the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we put a rail around, which is just a chair rail. Chair rail. I always forget to do that, but that's a good, that's a really good idea. <laughs> so you don't destroy and tear all your fabric with your yeah, exactly. chairs bashing around. Uh, and then we had uh, um, uh, perforated metal uh, ceiling panels, which uh, had fiberglass behind those, the, the same the same back behind those. So that was that was our room, uh, nice. and we had pretty we had a fairly high glass content in the rooms. Keep that in mind, and of course the. The glass is angled, generally uh, angled down uh, with the, the bottom ang angling down towards the floor so that any, any reflections that hit it are driven down to 
the, the carpeted floor to, to absorb them. Um, that's pretty much how we uh, how we obtained the acoustic environment that, that we needed in those studios. Would you say the ratio of the glass to everything else was like maybe thirty percent glass, seventy percent? It was huge amounts. You know, of glass. soft stuff. Yes, yeah, no, it was it was probably more than than thirty. I'd say we'd be in the order of forty to forty two percent. You know, that's amazing. So, yeah. yeah, that's not yeah. easy to knock the RT down. No. No, it, yeah, it, w- it was uh, pretty hard to, uh, to pull it down, but we we, we got there. Um, so that that was uh, yeah, that, that was a challenge. And one, once we, once we'd uh, kind of achieved and knew what we were doing, it made it a little bit easier for subsequent builds that we. Did. How much does the um? How much did the announcer's position have to do with? Like microphone placement, let's call it in general, because the because oh, yeah. the question. thing that struck me is that if if I had have been building those rooms, I would have had the desk turned sort of forty five degrees, just in my head, because that aesthetically that would have looked right. But you had them sort of more in the back end of the rooms, weren't they? They were sort of facing the long dimension of the room. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the long dimension was also mm. the, the the glass uh, That's wall, right. which looked after the producers' area, um, and uh, of course it's, uh, the studios had to be designed to accommodate uh, up to four guests uh, around the desk, as well as uh, mm. as well as the the, the anchor person. A so, huge rooms. Uh, oh, these are pretty big. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it had to be had to be big rooms. Yeah. Um, we worked uh, as a uh, as a rough figure and it varied a little um, with the final design, but we worked to uh, about 26 square metres for a studio. Um, this is for an on-air presentation studio we're talking here. Yep. So in those on-air studios, though, how much did the mic placement have to do with achieving the results you've got with all that glass then? Well, we did uh, when we did the measurements of the room, uh, we placed the measuring equipment in the, in the position that the... Uh, that the announcer's microphone would be in, right. so we tuned to that. We had enough control to be able to oh, okay. get it right in, in that location. Um, and what kind of mics are you guys using in that space? I was using, uh, I know they've changed the mics now, but I was using Shure SM7s. Um, sure. Yes. Yeah. They're the most forgiving, I would say. <laughs> they, they're forgiving, and I, 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 a, lot of, a lot of people in our, our competing stations were using RE20s, and right. I've never liked the sound of an RE20. I think they're too tight down the bottom end, and I, 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 I like the smooth uh, roundness of the, the lower frequent, uh, frequencies of the SM7. Uh, yeah. I mm-hmm. just think they're a delightful microphone to, to use in radio. And are you guys using um, any kind of automated mixing technology to mix the four mics auto, like an auto leveler, no. or is it all uh, human <laughs> mixing? It's all Never human leave mixing. a jock to mix. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, you've got you've got someone. Let's say it's a breakfast show. You've got three three people uh, in the guest positions and, and an anchor and. Uh, how many times yeah. do you walk into an Always. on-air studio to say good day to the jock and the meters are just pinned in the red? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what we did, we had uh, we designed in-house. Um, I had a, a, an excellent design engineer on staff, which was a, another great benefit, Brett oh, Kelly. He's worth a plug because he, was, uh, he, he still is a sensational yeah. uh, design engineer. Um, Brett designed for us some uh, little... Uh, little modules, if you like, for each of the guest 
position. So the guests had an on-off switch for their microphone. Uh, they uh, they had the headphones there, of course, and they had a selector switch so that if we were doing remote talent, uh, um, you know, someone outside of the studio or someone maybe you, we, we did a breakfast show where we had uh, talent in Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide all linked together and all sounded like they were in the one room on air. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we, he had a headphone selector at the time, but so we give them a, we gave them a mic switch, so really it was up to the individual person to switch their mic on and off when they wanted to. Uh, uh, so that, that was it, but uh, so the levels would be preset at the start of the shift and uh, um, yeah, you'd work from there. But uh, Now, with the production studios, though, Des, this is my question. Yes. Like, if you're working production, so you've got a couple of decent-sized monitors you're, you're using to yep. get your audio reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've got glass behind those monitors, which I assume you would have from memory after going to the yes. rooms in Sydney, how did you stop that from ringing the glass? Um, what, during a recording session? You, uh, no, like if someone's doing a mix, or, you know, building or, a spot. Oh, you're, yeah. you're playing back or, or mixing down, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, look, um, I, I would have to have to put hand up and say probably guilty as charged because we didn't work as hard to get the uh, acoustics in uh, in a production control room as right as we, we probably uh, probably should have um, we were usually running uh, tannoy uh, tannoy 12s uh, as mixed down speakers for the main speakers but we had uh, alternate small speakers which you know always used to cross-reference uh, a mix down for commercial radio, so they were horrible tones or horror tones were the initial ones. <laughs> yes, <laughs> horror tones. <laughs> horror tones. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to remember what, what the ones that we went to later on. Do, um, do you remember, Robbo? I'm trying to think because I used to freelance for sideshow in production downstairs, and I'm I, I'm I'm thinking um, I'm thinking oh, yeah. that was um, some was there Genelex down there as the B speakers. Yeah, yes, there, there might have been. Yeah. I think we did have some Genelex. Yeah, I'm not sure that no, became a maybe standard, that was sighted. However, but uh, do you guys consider the Tannoy 12s a, a sort of a standard? Like those are pretty much you're going to find them in each room, no matter what. Yeah, yes, yeah, they were gotcha. they were pretty much uh, standard uh, in the on-air studios and um, productions. Yeah. yeah. And often back into the into the mm. production booth too, you know. For I've got to say though, I did yeah. I did work yeah. in as I said mentioned. I've worked in Sidey's studio a lot, and it's it's not terrible. I mean, you know, they, uh, you can see the struggles that you would no. would have had with the amount of glass in those rooms. But considering everything, they're not terrible sounding rooms. I mean, you managed. It's not hard to pull a good mix in there. Yeah, oh, thank you. That's it's uh, good good to hear. Um, we, I mean, we still measured the rooms and uh, and adjusted the panels as we uh, as we did the, mm. the, you know, the absorbing and reflecting materials. Um, uh, and the same cloth panel treatments on the walls. Every, everything was the same, um, but probably um, not as much attention that, mm. that we, we could have otherwise given to the relationship between the um, the, the, the main monitors mm. and, and the glass around them. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. now it's like if, you're, if you've got a particularly picky-eared uh, engineer, you can run like a sonar works or something, and you mm. could flatten out the low-end a bit to compensate if you had to. Mm, you, know, you can yeah. do some of that in software. I've never been a, a fan of mixing down on yeah. headphones, but I see it happening a lot. Um, 
Is it honest enough? There's some good, to, there's yeah. some good tricks out there these days and um, a couple of waves and stuff like that have room emulation plugins that you can, that sort of don't give you the hard left, right, if you know what I mean. So it gives you a more realistic room sound in your headphones. But I'm, I, I've tried it and I still yeah. can't get used to it, Des, I would be my answer to that. I, I'm sure there's others out there who have. Um, and I see plenty of YouTube videos of some of the bigger mixing guys going, hey, if I'm not mixing in the perfect room, I'll go to headphones. I still struggle with it, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it I just mean, takes you too far totally. away from reality. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's difficult because um, uh, you, if, you, if, you, if you know your room, it's great, but if you don't know your room, then you don't really know what you're mixing. And I, so I kind of mm. get why people do mix in headphones. Yeah. At least they have something can, consistent. Can I take you a couple of steps back, Des? You were talking about <laughs> the, uh, the perfect cube room. Um, I, I've actually just moved house six months ago, and <laughs> the room that is now slowly becoming my new home studio is the perfect cube. Um, and I and I'm <laughs> hello, hello hello yeah that's hello. right and I'm doing I'm doing battle with the low end um, too much of the low yeah. too much of the low end besides bass trap in the corners what what other ideas should I be looking at and this, this is a purely selfish question but having asked it I'm sure there'll be other people out there who are experiencing the same thing so I'm sure we're helping more than just me but it is a very selfish question bass trapping yeah. would be my go-to solution um, yeah it's uh, it becomes a little more uh, complex it, uh, you really have to uh, do a uh, have mm. to do a, like a frequency sweep of the room to see where the nodes and the anti-nodes are you know your, your peaks and dips in the room and you may be able to, through using that process that I talked about with reflective and non-reflective uh, materials around the walls, you may be able to adjust to minimise the, uh, the effect. I think if you've got a big low-frequency lump in the room, um, yeah, you're going to need, uh, you're gonna need a, a, a trap to manage that initially, but then you can kind of fine-tune it a bit more with, with wall treatments. Everything you were describing in those rooms so far to me sounded like they were all um, flush or flat panels, not so much corner panels or offset panels or ceiling clouds yeah. that are suspended or anything like that. Um, that's, that's true, yes. Right, so that's, I mean, yeah. the room isn't tuned. It's first and foremost tuned for mics and secondarily yeah. for mixing, which is, it's very hard to do it for both. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's, you know, it's nearly impossible, especially if you have all that class, but... In your case, yeah, I mean, don't forget that there's more corners in your room than you think of, right? There's more than four. There's actually 12. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can, you can base trap the top corners as well. I'm a big fan of putting base traps in the upper corners between the ceiling and the walls. Okay. Um, yeah. You can hide a lot more base trapping in those areas without soaking up as much of the room, you know, losing so much room in your space, mm. I guess. And um, also, have you have you guys yeah, any of you experimented with what well, I guess we would call trihedral corner traps? I've made the some. ones that go in the tri corners. Yeah, I made some, some for companies my room. that make those. I've actually, <clears throat> tucked them up. Oh yeah, it seems to have helped a little bit. I think I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of base traps in my booth. Um, you know the corner traps, the Aurelex mm. triangular corner traps. Right. So there's one, two, three, four. There's six. So three corners are traps, but there's a the glass door in one corner, so there's no room for a 
corner track right. there, and then a couple of big cubes, big um, Rolex cubes that are like two foot cubes with uh, teeth cut into them. There's two of mm-hmm. those. Your booth sounds pretty nice, I've got to say, Andrew. It's- yeah, well, you're, you're the only person on this panel that's actually uh, been here. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went in and kicked the tyres. It was pretty good. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew, do you primarily work seated or standing or both? Uh, seated. And there, there is a reason for that. I, sometimes I prefer to stand up. But because the, the ceiling is raked, yeah. I try to keep the mic low, as low as I can. You actually have to lie down in there. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I, I have found that in a lot of these people's home booths and a lot of these prefabricated booths, um, there's, you know, a lot of brands now. Yeah. Um, the ceiling height is the main or major enemy. And, yeah. um, you know, for some people, it's just like, you know, if you really want to get that sound tightened up, get rid of that bass reflex, sit down. Or at least try to drop the mic three to six inches from where it is because that yeah. makes a tremendous difference mm. sometimes. Yeah. Well, I've actually got mine set up so it, it, it actually does sit in exactly in the middle of the room. Yeah. That's front to back, side to side, and floor to ceiling. That's a pretty good idea. So it's an equal distance, and it seems to work all right, so... Have you guys experimented at all with um, different pattern mics? So you guys were using dynamic SM7s, and and we've talked about, and we've tested as well, experimenting with figure eight microphone patterns. um, Yeah. Because of their ability to really effectively reject uh, reflections. Of course, they pick up everything in the back, so they're not going to work great in maybe a four-up microphone room. That might be a, a real challenge to make good use of figure eight mics, but that, that can be another way to compensate. Maybe more important in small spaces where there's hard surfaces or reflective glass really close to the mic, but that's been a good cheat I've been employing lately for folks is trying out figure eight pattern to uh-huh. compensate. Yeah. What's the situation you would, uh, you would do that in, George? Um, is that a, like a home recording studio? Uh, for sure. Yeah, because yeah, people are in really small spaces. And yeah. cardioid mics, they just they hear way too much sound on their sides and top and bottom. So um, if you go figure eight, now those sides, tops, and bottom are nullified. So they, the microphone hears almost nothing at, their, at its waistline. You know, imagine drawing yeah. a, a circle around the waistline of the mic. And... Yeah. That area is just dead. So if you're real close to the ceiling, now you've, you've gotten rid of that resonance for the most part at the ceiling. And likewise, if you have a, a computer monitor or um, a window just to the right of the microphone where a cardioid would still pick up quite a bit of standing waves, um, the figure eight wouldn't hear it anymore. Um, and and I've, I've just, so many people as of lately here in L.A., are getting U87s because they're working on animation and stuff, and they're saying you need to go get one of these mics. So people investing in these $3,000-plus mics and never even thinking of trying to change the figure, the pattern. And I just said, give it a shot. Let's see how it sounds. And uh, it's amazing how often it fixes a weird reflection and resonance issues and some of the 
uh, less better known uh, isolation booths. I don't. <laughs> yes. I don't want to call anybody out because there's some really great brands and brands that I know very well. But um, some of them acoustically still have real problems, and switching that pattern can just immediately fix one of the bigger problems. Going to say, I, I actually because we've talked about this before, and George knows that I actually do use figure eight on the large condenser. I just like the sound of it better. Yes, yeah, so it just brings up another another very good point that George has made uh, very succinctly, and that is, uh, if you want to have ultimate control over the environment, make sure you've got a microphone with a switchable pattern, so that you can try um, different different patterns, uh, maybe for different situations, you know. Um, but uh, I, I think the path to achieving the best result is to have as much control as you can over as many aspects as you as you can, so that yeah. you. You do have somewhere to go if you if you need to make some changes to optimize the result that you're after. Have you experimented with some of these really new bleeding edge microphones that let you essentially steer the pickup pattern? No, I, I haven't because I'm not in a situation now where I I might do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, no, I, I, I haven't, George, no. Yeah, we, we got to try out, and Andrew now has, the... Um, OC818, made by Aust- Austrian Audio. And oh, yeah. that microphone allows you to either inside the mic internally or in post steer the pickup pattern where you want it to go and, and tune it to be what you want. Um, wow. So you can, you can fix it. Either you can fix it in real time or you can fix it in post yeah. Yeah. by recording yeah. both capsules in the microphone, which is just crazy. It's amazing. And then there's another mic I've done tests with called the Townsend Labs Sphere L22, which takes that whole thing to another level of sophistication, actually. Same idea, just even more control and also uh, microphone models where you can have your mic magically transform into a, you know, a U47, <laughs> for example. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's, it's amazing what we're being able to, being able to do now in a software environment. It's making up a lot for some of the issues, but still not a substitute for... Uh, are they, are they great affordable room. microphones that you're talking of here? Or yeah, they, I think uh, so. I mean, we were just talking about a U87. So let's yeah. say that's your, your bar, yeah. you know, for yeah. 3000 plus. These are all half to a third that price. So yeah. okay. wow. reasonable. Yeah, because the Austrian Audio is 1000 US, and George and I, well, George did a video, um, with him in LA and me here, and uh, George basically giving orders of how to adjust my mic to sound different. And it was, um, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, for someone like George who's helping someone out remotely, what a perfect tool to have. Yeah. It's really quite interesting. Yeah, I can't really change the size and shape of the room remotely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not Inception or something yet. But to be able to at least uh, change the way the mic hears the voice so I can just steer it where it needs to go uh, is a is kind of a revelation. I, I use the Townsend Labs in conjunction with the Apollo hardware, the Universal Audio Apollo, where you can run this plug-in and hear the microphone's adjustments of its pickup patterns in real time. And I'm listening to it and steering, literally steering its pickup pattern. Like, oh, let's point it over here a little bit and let's let's reduce the pickup, the proximity effect just a tad, and you know that kind of thing. And it's, it's remarkable, really, really cool stuff. Yeah. Now, Des, I've got one question for you. Um, sure. What has been your 
favourite studio, whether you designed it or you worked in it? Radio studios, look, uh, I, I, because I um, focused on the overall result, Andrew, so I, I took into account not, not just the acoustic aspect but the, the physical appearance of, and the functionality of the, of the studio spaces. Um, the Osterio Sydney Studios would be my favourite because I just felt that that, that, that epitomised everything that I was looking to achieve with making the studios part of the overall operation. And I felt very proud of what I achieved there with, with that, to be honest. Um, so, yep, that would be, uh, that would be my, my, my choice of a studio that I was involved in. Um, I haven't seen enough recording studios. I did go to EMI in Sydney at uh, one stage many years ago, but uh, I, I don't really recall enough of what they were like. I knew they were pretty good studios. But... Yeah, because EMI, that was um, Richard Lush, the Beatles yes. engineer. He was involved in setting that up, I think, from memory back yeah. in the early 70s. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I think I just wanted to, before we get too far away uh, from just the acoustic aspect of studios, I, if, I was doing, um, if I was doing a home studio or a studio where I wanted to maximise flexibility, I would probably favour a hard wooden floor um, with, uh, with rugs on it uh, that you can remove so that you can, uh, again, gives you another control aspect over... The, uh, the, the the acoustic qualities of the room. We didn't do it in, in, in radio. Um, I kind of wish I had because I think it was a, an aspect that I'd uh, probably not given enough attention to just to... We always had carpet on the floors in the studios, but it would have been nicer to have a, a removable carpet so that you could uh, adjust the room. Was, and also yeah. so, you, so you didn't burn holes in the carpet. <laughs> and I'm just I'm just marking down another tick for my room design. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I used to just compulsorily say put down some nice, you know, medium pile pile carpet, you know, for yeah. a home booth, but I've kind of changed my tune uh figuratively, literally, whatever you want to joke you want to insert there and mm. said, you know, now let's let's yeah, let's actually put in manufactured floor, hard floor or whatever and Put mm. put down a rug or put down a, a oriental rug, whatever. Yeah. To yeah. to get a look and a sound, you know, and if you need exactly. it, if you need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Taking a cue really from, I guess, music studios that do that a lot. It is. It's a nice feel. It's a, almost like a homely feel to a studio, as well as uh, working nicely acoustically. You know, it gives you some. You know, problems. musicians are all about the vibe, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yes. The vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they want a really heavy vibe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, have one of the things that I deal with personally is really, like I said, really small spaces. How much have you had to deal in that environment where you're like the booth or the voiceover space is, let's say, one by one point two meters, something like that. You know, does that come yeah. across your plate sometimes? Probably a little bit bigger than that, uh, I'd say, George, just because um, they can become quite claustrophobic if they are um, yeah. th that size and uh, yeah, that, it's, it's not the environment you want to create. Um, yeah, if you're starting from scratch, you would never choose to make a room that small. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
what's the smallest you would prefer to go? Uh, you know, if they really, it's literally a booth for one person, what would be the smallest? Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that would be like a voice tracking uh, booth or, uh, or a news presentation booth. Um, yeah. Um, so it would be probably being um, about 1.5 metres by maybe 2.5 metres, something in, in that area, maybe yeah. maybe heading towards 3 metres. Um, it's yeah. a nice size, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yes, it's a comfortable size. We would uh, say it's like about 6 a, by 10 feet, roughly, which yeah, is nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the case of a new studio, you would often have a second position there where you might have a sports guy in there or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, but the other thing is you would you would you have much less glass than you have in the on-air studios. You sure. have one one large window so that there's good eye contact between the on-air presenter and the news studio. Um, but that, uh, that that was pretty much it. So you could reduce the amount of glass. And if it's a voice tracking studio, you don't need any glass really. You know. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a little dark hole you disappear into for nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you guys yet like to use um, condenser mics in those, or do you leave it up to the producer what mic they're going to use, I guess? Um, well, we match, match the microphone with the on-air microphone because you, you want the pre-recorded uh, voice tracking to sound the same as, as the Sure, mic. true. Yes. Yeah, right, right. I would have the same in in all on-air studios, uh, uh, including voice tracking studios. Now, talking about microphones, are you happy to come back next week and uh, talk about microphones, Des? Yes, I, I, I could. I'm not sure how much I can contribute, but... Uh... Beautiful. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode and uh, all the best in Adelaide. See you next week. Thank you very much and lovely to chat to you all. Nice. Thanks, Dan. That's that cool. That's really cool. cool. We um, so rarely talk about that kind of subject. It's really great. Uh, I feel very honoured to be part of it. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. That was the Pro Audio Suite. If you have any questions or ideas for a show, let us know via our Facebook, the Pro Audio Suite Podcast. Yeah,